If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hi, I'm Erin Davis, and thanks for joining me for Catch My Drift. Made possible by Envy Pillow, my sleeping beauty for over 20 years. The Canadian-designed copper-infused Envy Pillow aligns your spine and neck and prevents those lines that sleeping on our face brings. EnvyPillow.com. Now these aren't sleep stories; they're more like sleep adjacent, or in the case of parents with a child who won't sleep envious. So. How's the baby sleeping is right up there with how are you sleeping in the list of questions that new parents get. Dr. Jody Mendel has a long list of degrees and accreditations, but you'll know her as the author of the book on the subject, Sleeping Through the Night, How Infants, Toddlers, and Their Parents Can Get a Good Night's Sleep, now in its fourth updated printing. In part three of this chat, we cover a lot of ground. So let's get at it. And I'm so glad you're hearing this too. You have some wonderful tips and we're so grateful that you've made the time to talk with us here today and reminders when it comes to sleep. And a lot of these, doctor, can translate not just to the single digit age folks in our lives, our children. What about the adults? What about the rest of us? You know, adults and and adolescents, teenagers, they, you know, sleep is just as important as babies. And we think a lot more about sleep in babies. And there's many more books and many more resources, but it's really important for every age. And there's different reasons why people have sleep problems, you know, at different points in their lives. So our adolescents, our teenagers are really struggling with those early high school start times. Their biological clock, their internal clock is shifting later, right at the time when school starts earlier for high school. College age students, young adults, you know, they're all kind of finding their way in the world, often up late at night. You then get into possibly parenting. Um, for those who choose to be parents, they are now dealing with young ones. And so if you can, you know, sort of solve the sleep problem of the little one, you're going to help solve the sleep problem of the parents. And then as we start getting into older age, we're starting to think about things like women who have difficulty because of, with sleep due to menopause or with sleep apnea or men, you know, as we, as we age, we're more likely to gain some weight, maybe more likely to have some sleep apnea. There's so many sleep disorders in and that each one has its own solutions. And it's, so it's really thinking about what's causing me to have difficulty sleeping and then matching a solution to it. One of your solutions is putting bedtime rules down in writing. And I'm thinking that, you know what, this does translate to adults because now we have apps that track what time we went to bed, how much screen time we've had, and that sort of thing. It seems like we all operate better within guidelines, and sleep may be a perfect example of this. Yeah, you know, we always have learned, you know, growing up, you know, brush your teeth every night and every morning and, you know, eat your vegetables, but sleep is key. It affects 
every aspect of how we function. And you really want to think about your sleep, making sure you get enough hours of sleep, doing sort of the other, what we call, you know, sleep, you know, positive sleep health or sleep hygiene, you know, making sure to avoid caffeine in the evenings. And when I hear someone say, oh my gosh, I can drink 10 cups of coffee a day. It doesn't affect my sleep. What they don't realize is it really is affecting their sleep and that they can power through that much caffeine to fall asleep means something's going on with their sleep. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about the bedtime rules when it comes to sleep schedules and sleep training. Um, and I'm assuming that maybe this is more for toddlers, of course, but but of having a list, a checklist. And I know uh, that we have a six-year-old in our life who just loves order and schedules. And so his meandering through his bed schedule could really be aided by this if we go tick, 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 tick. What are some of the uh, sleep schedule ideas that you have, doctor? So I am one of the biggest proponents of bedtime routines and bedtime routines for every age, but we'll talk about children because that's kind of where, where my world lives is in, um, is in child sleep. <laughs> bedtime routines are so important and they're important on so many levels. For, so first of all, we know that a bedtime routine, two, three, four activities about typically the same ones every night. So something like a bath, and brushing our teeth, and then reading stories, and then, you know, hugging kisses goodnight. Just having that is going to improve sleep. And we've even done studies where we have assigned half the kids to a bedtime routine and half not. And we know that not only does it help them fall asleep faster and earlier, but it helps them sleep all the way through the night too. The other thing though about bedtime routines is for me, I think of it as the perfect package. It's in that if you think about all the things that are happening in a bedtime routine, so let's just say a bath and, you know, brushing teeth and pajamas and stories, it's also connecting with things like dental health, long-term dental health. It's hygiene. It's touch, right? It's helping shampoo your child's hair. It's talking. It's a lot of, and it's literacy. So all of those things are happening in this kind of perfect 20 to 30 minutes. It's often one of the only times in the day where families are together and hopefully turning off the world and turning off their devices and not being on, you know, social media and all those things and really connecting with their child. And so, and, and a huge thing, which you mentioned is a bedtime routine chart. There is nothing better than a bedtime routine chart. It shows the four things. Everyone agrees to it. If you have stories, which I very much want families to have stories as part of their bedtime routine, you show the two stories, right? One, two. And then there's no arguing about it. So then when your little one says, you know, can you read a third one? You're like, oh, honey, I would have loved to. But you know what? The chart says two. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> The, blame the chart. Blame the chart. And, <laughs> and you know, using stickers like children, three, four, five-year-olds, they'll do anything for a sticker. So just even putting stickers on it, you know, here every night, here's your sticker for doing each of your activities. You're going to have a smooth sailing evening versus lots of tears by both the parents and the child. I love that. I love that. Now, let me ask you, in this age where we can, you know, access a universal library at the touch of a finger, how do you feel about blue light on devices, like uh, reading your child a story from an iPad or a Kindle, for example, as opposed to good old paper? So we do know that light affects our body clock. So what happens is light 
front goes into our goes you know in our eyes obviously it goes to our brain and it suppresses our sleep hormone which is melatonin so the more light to your eyes in the evening suppresses melatonin and makes you feel less sleepy. So that is a concern about using devices and all of those things at bedtime. But I think more importantly is that reading to a child on a device does not help literacy. And I'll put it the other way, which is reading with an old-fashioned book is going to promote literacy in a very, very different way and in a much more positive way. And the reason is, is that part of reading a book is knowing you're at the beginning. It's turning the pages, which indicates the story is continuing. It's closing the book at the end. And now you know the story is done. And you've probably done it. You know, when I travel, I uh, read on a device. I, I read, you know, when I'm on a plane, I'm reading on a device. And very often I'm sort of confused of where am I in the story, right? I have mm-hmm. to look at the percent because I'm like, oh, am I at the beginning or am I really wrapping it up? And a book helps a child to understand that. Brilliant. Let's talk about light, about the light that is important in the evening, in the morning, the melatonin, taking the baby outside, the role that light plays in a baby's health. So light is what totally governs our internal clocks, our body clocks. We call it sometimes our circadian rhythm. And that light, as I said, will affect the production of the hormone, the sleep hormone melatonin. So what it does, light suppresses melatonin. Which means at night when it's dark and when the lights are dim, our melatonin is going up. What we want is on the opposite side is in the morning exposure to light. And so if you expose an adult, a child, or a baby to light in the morning, and I don't mean just, you know, like literally turn a light and shine it on them. It's more about really bright light, which is outdoors. So either being by a, you know, a a sunny spot in the house or a bright spot in the house, or even getting outside, even getting outside on a rainy day is much, much more light than being in a room with a bright light on. And not only does it get you outside and then and therefore set your clock for the day. It's also good in every other way. It's good for families to be getting out with those little, little newborns um, because it's going to help things like postpartum depression. It's going to get everybody moving. It's going to get everybody exercising. And a study that was done in, the, um, in London showed that babies who are exposed to light, even morning light, especially morning light, you know, at two, three, four weeks of age, were the ones who were more likely to develop a schedule at a young age and more likely to start sleeping through the night. That's fascinating. And in our next segment, we're going to talk about more international sleep concerns. But while you're talking about natural light, what is it like to sleep train a baby in the land of the midnight sun, in places where it can be daylight or darkness for a majority of the day at certain times of year? So, It is hard, right? We know it's really hard for anybody to sleep when it's bright out all day. You know, if you're up in Iceland or northern, you know, Alaska, places like that, um, it's going to affect it. But realize that babies and toddlers, they all nap during the day when it's light out. So their their system is pretty good at, you know, managing that. You know, also, you know, Pulling down, you know, blinds, you don't need to put in blackout curtains unless your child is really sensitive to it or it's super bright outside. Um, That's going to help also. I found that fascinating. Never too late to teach a child to self-soothe. She's got so much wisdom and, yep, 
There's a fourth part with pediatric sleep educator and author Dr. Jody Mendel, in which we're going to discuss why bedtimes are important, how sleep begets sleep, and when Dr. Mendel says, give it a rest. There's no guilt involved. Parents need to get rid of the guilt as hard as that may be. But having rest time is really good. That's ahead on Catch My Drift. Join me again here tonight, won't you, for another segue to sweet dreams and our sleep stories on Drift. I'm Erin Davis.